Well, we are coming now to the end, almost, of our series here, looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, uh, what we've called every spiritual blessing. It's what it talks about there in verse 3. He's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessings. Uh, These are blessings that are presented to us as those we have in Christ. That came up again and again, doesn't it, in this passage To be in Christ, Paul's favourite way to talk about Christians, Christians are those who are in Christ, safe in him, tucked up in Jesus, wrapped up in Jesus, united to him. And to be in Christ means, as you saw and we've read, it means to be chosen by God and adopted into the family of God. To be redeemed and set free from sin and death. It means to be forgiven of all our sins. It means to be enlightened by the Spirit, so that we grasp the plans of God. It means to be included in our inheritance, which we saw last week. And today, we're looking at really kind of the final blessing. Uh, That is that we are sealed and marked with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 13 again with me, please. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, I'm tempted to say this is the kind of the climax of the passage, and in some ways it is, but actually we've got to appreciate that all these blessings come together. It's a package deal. All right, we get all of this together. There's no kind of climax. There's no blessing that's kind of better than another. We need them all, really. I guess that the climax really is in verse 7 and 12 and 14. What's the phrase there in 7, 12 and 14? It's praise the glory. Praise the glory of God. That's really what this is all leading to. This is the climax of it all. Uh, but in these final verses, which is really, uh, as you know, is one long sentence in the Greek. Our English translations have to kind of break up with punctuation so we can read it we under, uh, a bit better. But we're told that of this blessing right at the end of, of the seal of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm afraid I, there's too much to cover here in just one message. So we're going to break this up into two parts. We're going to start it today, focus on verse 13. And then we're going to finish it off next week uh, by focusing on verse 14. There's just a lot here that I felt I wanted to share with you this morning. Okay, so this is part one of this blessing. All right. Uh, So we're going to focus on this seal of the spirit and what it means. And really what I want us to grasp this morning is this amazing truth that we truly have God the spirit in our hearts. And how the Spirit's work is always to bring us into a deeper knowledge and relationship with Jesus. That's what I want us to grasp. This amazing truth. We have God the Spirit. And his work is to bring us more deeply into Christ. Let's think about this seal of the Spirit then. We are blessed. We are blessed because we have the seal of the Holy Spirit. Look at again at verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. The promised 
Holy Spirit. Well, here's then perhaps the first question. Who seals us? What is this uh, person who seals us? And it's the promised Holy Spirit. The promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is uh, the third person of the Godhead, we might refer to him. And in fact, all three of them appear, Father, Son, and Spirit, all through this passage, even here in this verse. We are in Christ. We are sealed by the Father implicitly with the Holy Spirit, a Trinitarian kind of blessing. And listen, the Spirit is not a force or a power. That's sometimes how people think of the Holy Spirit. No, the Holy Spirit is a person, a person sharing equally and fully in the divine nature of God. Uh, God the Father cannot be seen. And Jesus the Son is in heaven now. But by the Spirit, God comes to us, living in us, comforting, empowering, sanctifying us. By the Spirit, God is with you. And me, here and now. And he's the promised Holy Spirit. Did you notice that's what he calls him, the promised Holy Spirit. Um, hundreds of years before Christ, we've been thinking about some of these prophecies of the coming of Christ. Well, one of the, some of those prophecies included the, the pouring out of God's Spirit on his people. Uh, perhaps famously, an example would be Joel chapter 2. Verse 28 and 29, it says, And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now, this is really, really important because under the old covenant, the spirit really only came uh, on certain people and at specific times, really. You know, prophets uh, had the Spirit. Some kings had the Spirit. Judges had the Spirit. But not really many more than that, essentially. And in fact, uh, Moses, he, he, he lamented, if you remember, in Numbers chapter 11, that he wished all of God's people had the Spirit. So like, why don't you all get the Spirit? And he, he seemed to pray for it. He longed for it, that God would pour out your Spirit on all people. And so this is, this is a wonderful promise that this is what God was going to do. Pour out his spirit on all his people. Not just kind of those really special elite guys. In fact, remember the context here. We saw this a bit last week. Specifically, uh, the, uh, include, the inclusion of the Ephesians. It says there, you also, in verse 13, you too, even you, even though you aren't Jewish, is essentially what he's saying. Uh, even though that you aren't Jewish, and, and yet even you have received the Holy Spirit, all people. And so you and I, we are sealed with none other than the Spirit of God himself, just as he promised. But what do we mean by a seal? All right, that's really what we think. Well, OK, it's all right talking about the Holy Spirit. That's helpful. But what about a seal? What does this really mean? What's this saying to us? Well, our translation here says that we have been marked in Christ with a seal. And a seal has the idea of, of being marked out as a means of identification, of authentication. 
It's like the seal of, of a king's signet ring, you know, marking something as, as his own possession or bearing his own irrevocable approval and validation. Uh, and that can also mean you both represent the king's authority because you bear his seal, but also because you've got his seal, you're under his protection too. Um, sometimes I remember when I was a kid, we used to watch there's a couple of things on a Sunday afternoon. I mean, maybe you weren't into watching TV on a Sunday, all right? Some people might big no no, but I remember Sunday afternoon, uh, we sometimes watched The Borrowers <laughs> and uh, The Antiques Roadshow. Okay, I remember that used to be on. And sometimes on the Antiques Roadshow, uh, they'll inspect some, you know, antique ornament. And they're looking for things like an emblem or a sign or a seal uh, that was put there by the original creator or manufacturer. And that sign or little seal or mark or emblem showed that this is a real deal. This is a genuine article. It's not a copy. It's not a fake. This is the real deal. That's a seal, Okay. Uh, or it's like a signature. A lot of you have just you've signed, had to sign things, haven't you? Uh, on an important document or on a contract. Or maybe thinking of Antiques Roadshow again. It's like on a painting. Identifying it as a true work of the creator, the artist. An even more trivial uh, example of this might be when you would write your name on your pencil case at school, right? That's yours. That's mine. We do this all the time with our kids, constantly kind of stamping their name in their clothes so they don't lose them at school. But doing that, <coughs> it identifies it as, that's mine. That's my possession. <coughs> it belongs to me. It bound it to you. It bound it to you. So, uh, yeah, those are some examples. And this is what it means really to bear the seal of the Spirit of God. It makes us God's own possession, identifying you as authentically His, bearing His mark, representing Him under His protection, and so on. It's God's way of spiritually saying, This one is mine. You are mine, God says this morning. What a, what a blessing this truly is. Isn't it? If we really think about it, what a blessing. God says, you're mine, and I've sealed you with my Holy Spirit. Well, if that's what the seal of the Spirit kind of means, the next question is this then. Who has this Spirit? Who has this seal? How do you get it? Well, here's the second thing we're going to spend a bit more time on. I've called this the Spirit saves us by faith, but I really want us to think about how the Spirit and faith come together. The seal of the Spirit is given to those who believe the truth of the gospel. The seal of the Spirit is given to those who believe the truth of the gospel. Look again at verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Now remember that, that you also phrase there, uh, which uh, we saw last week. It means people who aren't Jewish get to be included in God's salvation. The Gentiles, that's, that's you and me. Except for Marika, who's 1% Jewish, all right? She's told us that, okay? So there we are, we're all in. And, and the question here is how... 
How is it possible that the Gentiles can be included? How is that possible? Okay, for, because for a Jew, inclusion in God's plans, in, his God, in God's salvation, in God's kingdom, inclusion kind of meant certain things like circumcision. Sorry, fellas, that's just what it was. Okay, circumcision. Ouch. Uh, submission to the law of God, to the covenants, uh, regulations, and so on. That's what they would have been thinking of. But in Christ, that's all changed. It's not circumcision. All the law. But faith in Christ that counts now. Here's some verses. Galatians chapter 3, verse 5 says this. Does God give you his spirit... And work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard. Then down in verse 14 of Galatians 3, the answer, Christ redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Paul is saying the same thing here. In Ephesians, you are included. You receive the Spirit of God when you put your faith in Christ. Let's break this down a bit. Uh, First, because you've heard the word of truth. Uh, One of the things Paul has been doing in uh, this passage and in the rest of Ephesians, and maybe you've picked this up as we've been going through, I hope you have, is to show us that Jesus is the centre of everything. It's all about Jesus. Everything is about him. He's the one who makes sense of it all. Jesus is the the lens through which we must see everything else, uh, who makes everything else clear. In other words, Jesus is the word of truth. Paul says in chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 21, that the truth is in Jesus. In fact, the, the, that whole section in, in chapter 4 is about the, the ignorance of people who don't know Jesus and the knowledge and learning you have in Christ. We, we can make sense of it while the Gentiles who are outside of Christ cannot. It reminds us here of, of John chapter 1, doesn't it? The word of truth. Maybe you're thinking of this. Where Jesus is called the Logos. The word. That's the word here. Logos. Word. The word of God. The Logos of the universe. The one who makes sense of it all, who explains it all to us. There in John 1, he says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Christmas. Full of grace and truth. Truth. Truth is in Jesus. And what did Jesus himself say? I am the way and the truth and the life. This is what we've heard This is what we have come to believe. Jesus is the truth. The one who explains it all. The one who makes sense of it all. The one, as we've seen, who unites all things in himself and so on. Listen, in a world that is telling us that there is no meaning, there is no logos, there is no purpose, there's no plan, we have heard a different story. A better story. The real story. The word of truth in Jesus. Everything is about him. So so this is what we've come to know. We've come to know the unsearchable riches 
of Jesus. That's what we've heard and believed. But secondly, he also calls it the, the gospel of your salvation. You heard the gospel of your salvation. Gospel means good news, doesn't it? Uh, it it's a, a news. It's a message to be shared. News to be declared, in fact. It's the news about what Jesus has done for us. Um, so in Ephesians chapter 2, if we were to read that, it's, it's, uh, we read this last week, it's about how Christ has reconciled us to God and to one another. Bringing us near, Paul says, through his blood, through the cross. That's the work of Jesus. This is a, a salvation bought with sacrifice. Jesus' death, paying for our sins, clearing our debt so we could be free and forgiven and welcomed into the, into the family. This is also good news about love and grace towards us, towards dead and wicked people like me. That's the good news. You are loved. There is grace. There is mercy for you. We can't save ourselves. It's not by our good works or moral behavior, only by the gracious act of a loving God. That's good news. But the good news of salvation is that you can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. <laughs> That's good news. Me? Yes. Good news. Washed, made clean. It is a salvation that pours out the love of God in our hearts, making you, even you, his most treasured possession in all the universe. That's good news, isn't it? It's the good news of victory. We've been thinking about this this morning with that picture of the dragon. It's a good news of the triumph of Christ over powers and principalities, over evil and darkness and, and demonic forces in this world. Even death itself, Christ has conquered. He is Lord. That's the good news. And, and we come heralding it like a, a messenger after a great battle. We're, we're running around telling people, we've won. Or rather, he's won. He's won for us. That's the good news. A victory of life we share in Christ. I, I don't know, dear friend, I, maybe you've never heard this before. You know, some people, those of you who perhaps have grown up in the church, and do you know what, there are some people who have never heard this. Some people have never heard this. They've never heard the good news. Maybe you're here today and you've never heard of the grace and love and forgiveness and victory of Christ. Have you heard? And have you believed this good news of salvation? Have you trusted in it as your only hope? Because here we see another aspect of the Spirit's work. How as we hear the word of truth about Jesus and the gospel of Christ, the Spirit is also at work here. He opens, you see, our eyes and our hearts. He makes it possible for us to believe it. It's the Spirit who makes us alive through this word about Jesus. Here's another prophecy about the Spirit. It's from Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 to 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you 
and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Good news. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So there you see it is the spirit of God who gives us new hearts. The ability to respond to the gospel by believing. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 3 Paul says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. No one can authentically, I mean, a computer can be programmed to say Jesus is Lord, but no one can authentically, truly say Jesus is Lord, can really accept and live under the authority and rule of Christ except by a powerful work of the Holy Spirit. Salvation is entirely a work of God accomplished by the Son on the cross and applied to us through the powerful work of the Spirit. And Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verses 3 to 14 has already shown us this, hasn't it? Again and again. He chooses. He predestines us. He adopts us. He redeems us and, and so on. It is a work of the Spirit of God in our hearts. So in other words, in other words, we cannot be sealed with the Spirit unless we believe the gospel but we cannot believe the gospel except by the work of the holy spirit Uh, uh, let me put it uh, to you a slightly different way how do you know you have the seal of the spirit if someone to ask you you know when you christians believe you get the holy spirit how do you know you've got the holy spirit what would you say How do you know you have the Spirit? Well, some might say something like this. Well, it's through perhaps a sign. You know, you'll start to speak in tongues in a different language. Or you'll have a a special power. Some say you'll sort of feel it. You'll just know. You'll, You'll probably get a warm, tingly sensation or something like that. But I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. It's not tongues or tingles. But trust. It's not tongues or tingles, but trust. You know you have the seal of the Spirit because your hope is in Christ. You are trusting. In other words, I put it up sealing is believing. Right? Sealing is believing. Believing is sealing. Right? The Spirit is sealed upon those who believe. Well, then the, perhaps the last thing we need to do before we look at perhaps a couple of points of application is what does it believing mean then? What does it mean for me to believe? Well, Paul's already kind of told us, hasn't he? In verse 12, where he refers to those who were the first to hope in Christ. Um, Hebrews 11 verse 4, which is the closest thing you'll get to a definition of faith in the New Testament, says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So, so believing has something to do with hoping. To believe is to put your hope in Christ. It's to rely on him. It's to know he is the truth who will not fail. To hope in Christ is to know that he forgives our sins and brings us through death into life. Who makes all things right in the end. 
He is the hope that keeps us going. We thought about that a few weeks ago. The hope that gives us purpose. The hope that gets us up in the morning. Something to live for. To believe is to have hope in Christ. Another word uh, I like that the New Testament uses is the word receive. To believe is to receive. A text like Colossians chapter 2 verse 6 or John 1 verse 12 or 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 6 uses the word receive. You have received the gospel. You have received Christ. It means a word that means to welcome. To welcome. To believe the gospel means to receive or welcome Christ, let's say, into your life. It's to open up yourself to him, to, to let him in, to take up residence in your life by the Spirit. To embrace Jesus as yours now. And with that, there must then be certainly repentance too, shouldn't there? In fact, faith and repentance often come together in the Bible. That means to turn away from sin, choosing to follow Christ. Now, he's my hope, he's my life now. It means killing sin in your life. So, so to be sealed with the Spirit means believing the gospel. Believing means hoping in Christ as your Savior, receiving and welcoming him into your life as your new Lord, whom you devotedly follow now. Much more that could be said, but let us say in summary, God the Holy Spirit seals us in Christ, marking us out as his own possession his own people and that seal is placed upon those who hear and believe the gospel about Jesus and let's say the evidence of this seal is believing and then it will continue to reveal itself as we continue to believe and trust and hope in Christ and in the outworking of a new life that we're living now in obedience to Christ We have the seal of the Spirit, and I hope we're seeing something of the blessing of what that means. But as I kind of begin to wrap up, I just want to give you two things to think about by way, perhaps, of of application. The first is simply this, keep living in the Spirit. Keep living in the Spirit. And and, and like, um, remember, we talked about like a signature or or an impression. Uh, The Spirit isn't just some representation of God. You know, your signature isn't you. It's a representation of you. The signature isn't the person. But the seal of the Spirit is a spiritual, personal seal. It is God himself upon you. And if God himself is sealed upon us, binding us in Christ and to the Father, then, then don't you think that will change the way we live? Uh, if King Charles, right, could just imagine this, right? King Charles were to walk in this room right now. And ladies and gentlemen, please, no, imagine if he did. What King Charles were to walk, wouldn't that change? Certainly change the way we're behaving. It would change the atmosphere in this room. Some of you might pick up things to throw. Some of you would bow down in reverence. I don't know. But it would change the mood. It would change the room. It would change the way we're behaving. How much more? With Jesus, the King of Kings, the Holy Spirit of the living God, who is called the Spirit of Christ as well sometimes. When he comes and takes up resonance in your very heart. If Christ dwells in you by his Spirit, 
If he has been welcomed in and taken up residence in your heart, then you will seek to keep living for him, to please him. Listen to a couple of verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 to 20. Don't you know, I'm sorry, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? There's that word again. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. What you do with your life, with this body, matters. Because the Spirit is sealed upon you. Paul says something similar even here in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. And in him you two are being built together. This is talking about us as a church. To become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So how we live as the church matters too because the spirit of God is among us. Right now. Not just in those really special moments where we really feel he's there. But now, right now. Brothers and sisters, remember God lives in you. Therefore, honour God with your body, with your life. Live for him, to please him, to be a holy dwelling. In fact, that itself will be further evidence that you truly have the Spirit as a seal. You will be bearing fruit that shows it. The Spirit will change you. He will convict you of sin. He will empower you to live a new kind of life. Or take Romans chapter 8 verse 9. You, however, are controlled, not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you... And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. So there's that similar idea of sealing here. But, but you're controlled by the spirit. To have the spirit as a sealing, you see, it's not a passive thing. It's an, it's an active thing. He is actively working in us now to change us, to sanctify us, and, and make us more like Jesus, to control, the, to control us. So, so Galatians 5.16 tells us what it looks like like a little bit more verse 16 so i say live by the spirit keep living by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control they were some of the evidence of the seal of the spirit in our lives that's what a person will look like uh, there's much more we could say about the work of the Spirit in our lives and what he's done. We've kind of really skimmed the surface, which is why we've got to take two messages to really kind of get our heads around what, what's going on here. But um, we could talk about the Spirit's power, the gifts he gives us. We could talk about the comfort of the Spirit. In fact, he's called the comforter, the strength he bestows and so on. But let's just pause. Let that big idea kind of just settle and sink in a little bit more. The personal powerful spirit of God himself is on you sealing you in Christ dwelling in you making you his own working in your life the second and last thing I want to impress on you again is really the central it's really about the centrality of Jesus again keep it about Christ this is uh, crucial to this passage, as we've seen. All these blessings are in Christ, for example. But, but what we've seen today, again, is the centrality of Christ in the gospel. Uh, the Spirit's work 
in fact, is to point people to Jesus, to make him known to people. That's something the Spirit does in us. Even now, just because you've got it once doesn't mean you don't still need it. Of course, we need Christ still every day. And we need the Spirit to keep bringing us back to Jesus. To be deepened in our knowledge of him. This is something Ephesians will go on to talk about some more. But let's say this. The gospel, you see, is not, is not a message. We've seen this. It's not a message about being good people. About living a better life. Being more spiritual or religious, perhaps. Um, but um, the gospel is, is not something we learn in the beginning either and then just sort of move on from. I've gone and got that. Now I've got Jesus. Now what? You don't move on from this either. We need Christ. No, as we've seen today, the gospel is really about Jesus. It's about who he is and what he's done. Who he is. He is the truth. Um, and what he's done. His salvation that he's working out. So if Christ is the truth, if he is the word of truth who makes sense of everything else, then we must learn to to see everything that is about Jesus. The meaning of life, the purpose of the universe, the truth about reality, the reasons why the world is the way it is and where it's going has everything to do with Christ and his plans and purposes. Keep Christ at the center then in all that you think and do. Christ central in your life. And decisions and choices and perspectives. But not just in terms of central in what we think and what we do, but also in what we say. Keep Christ at the center of what you say. Uh, I wonder what are some of the reasons why perhaps you hold back from sharing the good news about Jesus with other people. I mean, this is good news to be shared, but we don't always do that, do we? We struggle to do that sometimes. And there are lots of reasons for that. Maybe some of that is to do with fear. Fear of people. You know, we don't want to be uncomfortable around them. We don't want to make them uncomfortable. We don't want to be rejected or persecuted, make things awkward. We don't want to upset people. So fear is a big part of that. That's one thing. But I wonder if another reason why we struggle is because we just don't know what to say sometimes. We're afraid we'll perhaps say something wrong. Or, or we won't know how to answer questions and comments that come back at us. Well, in a very simple way, I think we can find some more help here. Because essentially, the, the aim of, let's say, our preaching and proclamation, which isn't just this at the front, it's kind of you and your conversations day to day perhaps. But perhaps the, um, the essential aim is, is this, to tell people about Jesus. It's, it's as simple as that. We're not... preaching a formula or a program or a method these three steps and then you're in we proclaim a person we lift up a person can you see the difference there a wonderful glorious person in in ephesians chapter 3 verse 8 paul aims he says to preach The unsearchable riches of Christ. That's what he says. Wow. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Him we proclaim. That's what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. That's how he sums it all up. It's Jesus. Jesus we proclaim. That's the essence of our message. A person to know. A person to tell. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them what he has said. 
Tell them what he is like. If you've read your gospel, you can, you've got something there. You can say, look, I, I don't know about that. Whatever question is, however hard it is, don't, I don't know about that and how it fits. But what I know is that Jesus, he healed this person and he loved this person and he said these wise words and then he did this on the cross and he rose again. That's what I know. Present Christ. Tell them of his glory. Tell them of his grace. Tell them of his love. Tell them of his wisdom. Tell them of his peace. Tell them of his life. Um, I love, I don't know if Sally Ann's here this morning, but I love Sally, part of Sally Ann's story. If you've had a chance to ask Sally Ann, and I don't mean to embarrass her, and she's not here, so we can talk about her, right? Um, but uh, I remember when we, we sat down with her, not long into we were talking, we were reading the Gospels, we we're looking at Jesus. And I said to Sally, I remember asking her this question. I said, Sally, what do you make of Jesus Christ? And I'll never forget her words. She said, she said this literally. Oh, I want him. That's all she said. Oh, I want him. She didn't need to know, you know, the Bible back to front and get all the things sorted out, all the questions. No, she just was seeing Jesus. And the Holy Spirit of God was at work in her heart to open her eyes and her heart. So she, she said, I want him. I want him. That's the work of the Spirit. That's the work of proclaiming the gospel. It's what matters most. It's what the gospel is about. It's about Jesus. The sealing of the Spirit comes to those who want Jesus, who have heard about him and believe. And to paraphrase Romans 10, verses 14 and 17 as I finish. Who then can believe unless they've heard? And who will hear unless we tell them? And so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word about Christ.